Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We're going to talk some golf now with the associate editor of Australian Golf Digest, Steve Kuyper. G'day, Steve. Hey, Julian. How are you? I'm very well. Now, before we get stuck into the golf on the weekend and some of the issues swirling around, I'm assuming final round of the Australian Open, you would have been out following one of the major groups, if not sitting at home on the couch watching it unfold. How did your Sunday pan out? Yeah, it was actually the closer to the latter. Uh, we, we kind of worked um, last week in shifts, and I was the one who was there for the the pre-tournament days. So I saw all the lead-up Monday through Wednesday, but um, then passed the baton on to some of my colleagues. Were you dragged to a winery on Sunday? <laughs> Allegedly, yes, this is true. I can confirm the rumours and uh, I had to improvise and uh, and watch on my phone. <laughs> no, I was just looking at your social media. You've got three bottles of wine there and you've got the golf on your phone. So uh, you managed to see plenty of it. Just uh, wrapping up the two weeks, it looked tremendous on the tally. The galleries were were huge. Um, you know, Minwoo Lee was the star over the two weeks. How did you sort of assess the two weeks of golf we saw here in Australia? I thought they were electric. I mean, it was just uh, the PGA with Minwoo uh, in full showman mode, um, playing phenomenal golf, taking control of the tournament and really working off and bouncing off, feeding off the galleries was um, a fantastic week in Queensland. Um, Sydney last week was good. A um, little bit more weather beaten in, in some respects. And there's still some... Confusion's maybe not the word, but maybe adjustment to having three tournaments happening simultaneously across two venues. Uh, I thought it was an improvement logistically on the Australian Open in Melbourne last year, but there's still just a little way to go, I think, uh, and it'll probably just come with time. But uh, great contests. I mean, uh, the Australian Open, this is one of the stats that always boggles my mind. The Australian Open has been going since 1904. Uh, so in those 119 years, there have only been eight playoffs yeah. in the men's championship, and this was the eighth. Um, so it's a pretty rare thing. Uh, always good when a tournament goes to a playoff. And it was really exciting in the women's event too, because uh, even though we had Ash Buhai winning again, she, she let Minji Lee back in the frame. It, it really could have um, gone to extra time as, as well there. You mentioned uh, the, the three formats playing across the same tournament. It, it did seem a bit strange on Sunday that – you know, Adam Scott's making this charge and he started on the back nine and therefore, you know, his final hole was the ninth and therefore the galleries around the ninth might not have been as big. Are we are we committed to this long term or are we just looking at this year by year? And overall, do you think it's the right move for the tournament? Well, first part of your question first, I think they're probably the organisers of the Australian Open are now walking down a path that they can't turn back from. Um I, I really see this as the way it's it's going to be. Um, financially, I know that the Women's Open as a standalone event was problematic. And mm. so the efficiencies that come with, with hosting them simultaneously definitely help the bottom line. Um, but sort of as for whether it should be this way, it's, that's a much more complex question. Um, 
the timing, unfortunately, is not ideal for the Women's Open. Um, they would love to get it co-sanctioned with the LPGA Tour as it used to be when it was in Adelaide and held in February. Um, but the LPGA season's finished by the time our Open rocks around. And so they're not going to get that co-sanctioning while ever the date stays the same. But if you concede that and then move the tournament to February, then you won't get a stronger men's field. Mm. And so there are compromises and concessions that are having to be made all along here. Um, But, yeah, it's just sort of weighing up how, I guess, how far you want to maybe dilute one championship in favour of the other by keeping them together. Is there full buy-in from the players or is there some that have some reservations about it, whether it's on the men's or the women's side? Yeah, definitely reservations. Um, you, you've only got to watch Twitter and just even anecdotal feedback, direct feedback. Um, there are still aspects of the, the dual tournaments um, or treble tournaments, I suppose, um, that the players don't deal with. And you get instances. And to be fair, there are some things, some things that the organisers can't control. And one of those is how many players make the cut. Mm. Um, we've seen it both times. Last year in particular was when top 60 and ties make the halfway cut, but they had more than 70 in both the men's and women's fields. I'm not sure what the numbers were this year, but they had to account for a lot more players. And that's why you saw, as I said, with Adam Scott having to go off to 10th tee on Sunday. And you had a scenario on Saturday where players separated by only one shot on the leaderboard teed off six hours apart Mm. just as a way to get everybody around off two tees, one course, two fields, uh, three fields. Um, and so there are things like that that are always going to surface. They're always going to have the players' noses out of joint because professional golf works a certain way. You know if you're teeing off one shot behind the guy in, in front of you on the leaderboard that you're only going to be just ahead of him on the, on the um, tee times. But they're, they're things that I guess, as I said before, are just concessions that will probably have to be made while ever we are holding multiple tournaments at once. We're speaking to Steve Kuypert, Associate Editor, Australian Golf Digest magazine. Uh, for the layman out there, Steve, can you explain all this talk at the moment about the rollback rules when it comes to the golf ball? And it seems like it's been around for a long time, this discussion. Some players are for it, some are against it. Will it happen? It's sounding like it will, and it, it appears we're going to get um, word handed down from the RNA and the US Golf Association this week. And there was some talk it would be for professionals only, but all along the game's ruling bodies um, have been quite adamant that they want the rules of golf to cover every level of the game. Um, your social Sunday morning player right through to the PGA Tour. And so it does sound like we are on the edge of what they're calling a ball rollback, which will mean there'll be a grace period, probably a few years. But I, I would say in the next three to five years, we'll be looking at a scenario where every golfer will have to play with a new style of golf ball that simply doesn't go as far as the current models. And it's you're right, it's an issue that's been percolating in the game for decades, really. And part of the problem is no resolution's been reached until now. And the the situation's only got worse. Golf courses have needed more space. The ball is going further, um, predominantly professional level, but also at an amateur level. And that's creating issues. Um, and, and so it, it, it is an, a ruling or a, it is going to be a ruling that they're going to hand down to cover 
all levels of golf, which is going to get some noises and noises out of joint at your local golf club. Like the idea of Joe Bloggs now suddenly losing 10% of the distance he hits the ball simply because of what's happening on the pro tours isn't going to wash very well. And I understand that, but this is a legacy of how long it's taken to reach this point, how, how long the ruling bodies have sat on their hands and, and not moved on this issue. And there really is now no choice but to make it all-encompassing for everyone. Great. So my 200-metre drives are back to 150. That's not ideal. Uh, it seems like <laughs> Rory McIlroy is a fan. Interesting comments from Lee Westwood saying, okay, that, that's great. Look at the ball rollback. But what about with, you know, golf club technology? Does that need to be looked at as well? Does that have to sort of go hand-in-hand hand with the ball? Yeah, well, you feel like it should, and that's what the commentary from a lot of players has been. So it's not just the ball; it's it's technology and in equipment, and it's true. Um, you know, I don't quite know why they've arrived at punishing the ball only. Um, I guess we'll find out more when the when the actual ruling gets handled, handed down. Uh, but uh, maybe this is just the first step. Maybe if maybe clubs are next, um, but it's it's probably an easier step to take just fixing the ball, just targeting the ball at this stage. Uh, but who knows, clubs may be next. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. So John Rahm, on his way to live, um, it's been a, much talked about for a few weeks now. How significant is that move If, if well, when John Rahm goes to live golf? Yeah, well, if that happens, it's enormous because he was really one of the pillars of the PGA Tour. You know, he was one of the guys that put his hand up and said, no, no, I'm I'm loyal to the PGA Tour. I'm not jumping ship. Um, so if he then does make the move, it, it really weakens the PGA Tour's position in all this. Um, it, it will be fascinating. I mean, the, the rumours just simply aren't going away. We haven't had it confirmed, but... You know, when you hear it that many times and from that many sources, you you start to join the dots. And um, in all this ongoing, um, I guess, attempt at unification or attempt at compromise between Live and the PGA Tour and, um, you know, trying to come up with something that works for everyone, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it, it would seem extraordinary that somebody as high profile as John Rahm is, um, is one of the casualties on the PGA Tour side of things. Yeah, it's just not going away at all. Just on Tiger Woods, uh, back in action. Uh, first of all, how do you think he played? And this is rumour going around that he's leaving Nike. Is that right? Oh, well, that's sad news to me. Um, I had heard he'd gone back to, um, I think, Footjoy shoes, um, golf shoes. It was spotted on the weekend. That I did I did take in, which was, which was quite interesting. But uh, in terms of the way he played, I mean, Success for him after um, another surgery and, and eight months out of the game was just going to be finishing four rounds and finishing them healthy. And he came off the course yesterday morning out saying, yep, I'm ecstatic at, at how I got through physically. And he's now starting to talk about playing one tournament a month is now feasible for him. And I would say at he's 48 at the end of this month. And I would say given what a physically almost bionic man he is now. If we saw Tiger Woods playing once a month, that would be a great result because for the past couple of years, it's looked like he may be gone or only playing some of these lesser events and certainly not a factor at the majors. Um, 
how competitive he can be, I guess that's the next rung on the ladder he's got to, he's got to climb. But just having him playing more often uh, is good for the game. It doesn't really matter what state of his game was on on the weekend. You know, he's not tournament sharp. He finished 18th out of a 20-man field. But he seemed to play pretty sharply. You know, he, he, the, the swing was back. The power was there. The rest of it will come with playing more. So it didn't really matter what he shot or, you know, where he finished. It was just the fact that he was back out there and survived the, the test, really. Just a quick one before I let you go. You mentioned the majors there. Can Minwoo Lee have an impact on a major next year? And which one do you think would suit him the best? He definitely can. Uh, I mean, he had um, a strong finish um, at the... Uh, forgive me, I can't remember whether it was the PGA or the US Open this year where he was in the top five. And, of course, at the Players' Championship, which in America, at least, they consider to be the next best tournament outside the majors, he was right in contention in the final round. So he's tasted the the heat of battle on Sunday in a big event. And we're just seeing, I think, Minwoo realise how good he is. Um, and, he, and he's doing it in a way where he's clearly comfortable in his own skin. I could absolutely see him contending in a major next year. Um, as for which one... Uh, it's hard to know. I would I would say the Masters is definitely on his radar. I think he's got the short game um, to handle Augusta. But uh, looking at the courses where they're playing next year, I, I could see him doing some damage around the, both the US Open and PGA venues as well. Um, US Open's at Pinehurst and the PGA at Valhalla. Um, I, I just think he's got a game that, that works um, anywhere. So... Um, the Open in Scotland, well, you just always don't know what kind of weather you get. He, he may do well there, but I feel like the three American majors are, are, are certainly in his wheelhouse for next year. Yeah, tied for fifth at the US Open uh, this year. Steve, always great to catch up. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Anytime. Steve Kuypert talking the world of golf associate editor Australian Golf Digest.